Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hello, it's just gone four. Max and Charlie for another H&J Daily. We've just, we came off air, couldn't work out if it was a good show, but then we went through all the bits and realised they were all great. Charlie's now going to tell you the four things in the podcast. I'm going to the toilet. We did some grudges, your sporting grudges that you've held over. Tim Vine called us in with one of those grudges. And we spoke to Jess Crichton. And oh, Max said four and I can only think of three. What else did we have on? Oh, Gary Mabbott. We spoke to lovely, lovely Gary Mabbott, who's been calling people up, cold calling them, not to sell them, double glazing, but to wish them well. Here it is. <laughs> What did you make of those games yesterday then? I thought that that was the most anticlimactic sending off I've ever seen, I think. There's this sort of Ollie Watkins didn't seem to want him to be sent off. John Egan didn't seem to mind that he was sent off. Mm. No one seemed to complain. The referee didn't seem to be that bothered to be sending him off. It was all... I mean, it was as if there were no fans in the stadium. As <laughs> if, it, it was as if Sheffield United and Villa didn't really think this was a league game. At that exact moment, they were just like, is that a red? Oh, it's only a friendly, would be fine. Were you watching with the crowd noise on or off? Um, I was watching with the crowd noise on because there was one strike. I can't remember if it was in the Wolves. I think that might have been the Wolves City game, I think. Yeah. Daniel Podence uh, put a put a, another chance wide. I tweeted, impodence. I thought it was quite good. Oh, very, very good. And, uh, uh, and the, but the crowd noise person... Thought it went wide, then thought it was a goal, then thought it went wide again. Went, yeah, I'd ooh, love a, yeah, ooh. I'd love a go at that. The reason I ask is I think when you watch it without the crowd noise on, it's it's, it's easy to let incident pass mm. without thinking, oh, that wasn't much. Like a lot, of, there were a lot of chances in both games, especially the Wolves Man City game. There were a shed load of chances. <laughs> Very well. It's quite disappointing how long it took you to realise you couldn't swear <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> but um. Uh, but in the in the first game, I thought it was really deadly. I thought both I thought both teams looked poor. Yeah, Villa Villa could not could not get it together in the in the box no, against ten men as against well. Against ten men, they couldn't get it. To, Grealish kept going and kept going, but couldn't quite find his. I think if you're magic, up against, you know, when you, if if a team goes down to ten men after like seventy minutes, you think, oh, well, we, you know, it's twenty minutes to break them down. Sometimes it's harder. Yeah. If you've got eighty minutes to break a team down. You should probably do it, shouldn't yeah. you? I thought 
at half time, I was very close to saying, I think Man City will win every game for the rest of time. <laughs> they were that they good were in the first half, and Wolves weren't that great. I thought Wolves actually played really, really well in the second half, and I think they'll be just actually slightly disappointed not to go. I think City deserved to win, but I thought Wolves really gave it a go. And, and from thinking this City team, who for some reason were wearing a Preston North End kit, which I thought was... This has been disappointing. 2-0, <laughs> Graham Alexander's got a couple of penalties. Um, but I was impressed with Wolves in the second half. Yeah, Gabriel Jesus looks mm-hmm. on the verge of tears <laughs> at all times, doesn't he? Yeah. At all times. Just constantly like he's, someone's about to tell him they love him after him, <laughs> after years and years of him wishing them to. <laughs> he just looks like he's constantly about to cry. But sorry, just to go back to Sheffield United yeah. as well. Yeah, He... Um, they have he, got. They he, have got yes. the their next six or seven games. Right. Sorry to turn. Oh, sorry to turn into Alan yeah. Brazil. I see the next few fixtures. Next six United. or seven games are. It, it is really very very difficult. Who so have the, they got? The fact that they've got nothing from these first two games is is very dangerous. They could go eight games easily. Leeds. Leeds is winnable. Is then it? They go Sheffield United, have you seen Leeds? Well, Leeds... They're is... unreal. It's going to be brilliant. Mm. i say what's going to be brilliant. Leeds v Wolves. Okay. That, yeah. is, that is going to be a brilliant um, game. Uh, Ian says, uh, you were a bit too urgent opening the show to get today. You had oh. to work on the Paul Hawksby breathy pause at the start rather than oh. straight in there. It startled me. Uh, just to uh, to break the fourth wall for you, Ian, uh, it, is, it is whoever's in the hard chair's job to write the intro to the yeah. show. And as Ben was reading the news and sport uh, and uh, uh, mispronouncing the word labour in quite a funny way, which I from clips of the week in two weeks, I'd realised I hadn't written anything. So that was just that was like free form jazz from me, yeah. Charlie. Uh, Jack says, Max, how do you decide who is Paul and who is Andy between you? Well, I'm I'm I am Paul and Charlie is Andy because there's <laughs> one is the hard chair, one is the easy chair where you make jokes at inappropriate times, which is the uh, the skill of Baker. Let's find the Sheffield United next. Six Arsenal fixtures. away. Then they've got Leeds. Then they yeah. got Arsenal away. That's winnable. Fulham at home, winnable. Liverpool. Okay, October. Ends difficult, uh, Anfield, and then they got City at home. Then they got a Chelsea. So those three are tough. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. They, they, yeah. They'd be happy with six points from those fixtures. No easy games in the Premier League. What do you want people to get involved with on the show today? Oh, I woke up this morning in a right old mood, Max. Did you really? Sporting based. Okay, well, that's I, I was so that annoyed yeah. about being given out LBW. Okay. When I woke up this morning. Okay. And I was annoyed about being given out LBW. 14 years ago. Okay. I remember I was on 46 playing Yattenden for the Bell Inn in Oldworth. Have you ever got a 50 before? Never got a 50. I was on 46. I had a new bat. So I'm 46 and I was caught above the knee roll, Max, going, playing forward at one. Probably, it was before DRS. Was the umpire a mate? Was it from your team? He he was uh, a very nice guy, Bill, who I still hold a grudge against, (laughs) who raised the finger of death. Did he raise the finger because um, it's quite difficult in village cricket when the whole opposition team are yelling at you not to just do what they want? Yeah. You know, if lots of people yell at me, I'll do what they want. Yeah, but I was on 46, Max, okay. and I'd never got a 50. And, and no, LB, no LBs in, in And it was high, cricket. Max. It was still high. So I woke up still with a grudge against Bill who's sadly no longer with us, and a lovely, lovely man. Okay. But, uh, but uh, I woke up with a grudge. I have a grudge against someone who's no longer, who's passed this mortal well, coil. Fr- Surely you forgive at the no. funeral, don't you? you I, I, I've one... tried to. I've tried to forgive. <laughs> Did you say some words at the end? He was a lovely man, Bill, and I'd love you to see well, his family here, and, and he thanks did... for inviting me. But I can't believe you gave me it. It was above the knee roll, and it might have been going down leg. Well, he came to Barnet away with me once as well, yeah. so, you know. But look, 
that was it. Okay. I'm still holding that grudge, and I was interested in what were people's long-held sporting grudges that they're involved in, particularly if it was at primary school mm. or and they've kept it going into adulthood, or if it's affected the rest of their life. At university, we got to the semi-finals of the cup, mm. cricket, cricket, Ooh, yeah. and uh, they had one batsman who played for like the university first team, and we had him run out on about oh, six. Lovely. And their umpire, it was out by two oh, yards, no. and their umpire didn't give it. No, no, and that no, was no. my only chance to play. At the parks in Oxford, it's mm-hmm. like a proper cricket pitch, first-class yeah. cricket pitch. My only chance. And um, about twenty years later, I saw him on a train going to Old Trafford to watch England play cricket. Twenty uh, years later, twenty yeah. years, yeah. lovely. Yeah. And uh, like there were a couple of people who sort of knew each other, and I went, "I haven't forgiven you." I literally, <laughs> I, I suddenly the ire. I had not thought about this moment for the so long, and then suddenly I just went. He was out. Why don't you just give it out? I hope it rains. 20 years ago. Well, I was going as well. Oh, no, so maybe not. Anyway, okay, so yes, uh, um, your sporting grudges, please, that you've held for a long time. You know, the the lower level of sport and the younger you were, or the longer ago... of your life. The longer ago it was, the better. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. And good afternoon. This is uh, Hawksby and Jacobs on TalkSport. Max Frost and Charlie Baker with you till four. That is uh, Martin Lipton's music. We'll go to him in just a second. Uh, Kenny says, Charlie's point about Gabriel Jesus' facial expression is so accurate. If I ever tune into a game late and the camera is on him, I celebrate thinking City must be down <laughs> when they're battering someone by five goals. Happily take uh, other players. He looks like a sad emoji. <laughs> Any other players who look like they're incredibly sad at all times. Les, the Bristol City fan, this is lovely. Okay. Um, uh, Sporting grudges. I was playing in a house match between Crossford and Smiths when I was in school in 1975. Uh, My Mr. Mr. Workman was the referee, (laughs) and the ball was about to roll over our goal line, and it stuck in a puddle. Mr. Workman gave the goal, and as I was captain, I asked him, how could you give the goal? Because he got stuck in the mud, and he replied, it would have gone in if it hadn't been so wet. I've never forgiven him for this Ridiculous decision. <laughs> Les, the Bristol City fan. Um, and Jaco on Twitter, Max. Under 16's football away, drove for hours and took a ferry. <laughs> the furthest we'd been away from home, except for holidays. I was played through and was alone with the goalie 20 metres from goal. Ref decided to blow for oh, half time. No. We lost 1 0. Still gutted about the injustice. Uh, this is another one. I was uh, uh, playing youth football with a good mate of mine I was left back he was centre back on my side I was on a yellow there was a foul in our box from a corner by my mate the ref mistook him for me showed me a second yellow to send me off he didn't even try and argue it was him oh. even though he wasn't even on a yellow I I still speak to him now and I have never forgiven him <laughs> the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. Uh, good afternoon, you're listening to Hawksby and Jacobs on TalkSport. Max Rush and Charlie Baker with you till four. David says uh, there was a huge beef a couple of years ago between Woodford Green under-11s cricket oh, versus yeah. Ilford under-11s due to cancelling matches when their best player was on a summer holiday. Oh, yeah. Anyway, the game starts and one of the Ilford parents sets up a tripod and starts recording their own son. One of our parents marched over and said he required our permission to record. The permission was denied. The child carried on batting and on 90, the dad raced to get his video camera while he was away, his son smashed another ten before the dad came back. Oh. <sighs> These are long-term grudges, please. Um, uh, Mark says, when I was nine, I'm now 49, mm-hmm. playing cricket in games. I hit the ball back to the bowler. Kevin, who didn't know the rules, ran from the bowler's side to me. The teacher gave me out and I cried. He appeared recently on Facebook and the grudge came back. 
<laughs> he oh. says he's now overweight and divorced. Good. <laughs> really brutal. Oh. I think you've got to let that one go. Um, right, let's talk to uh, Spurs and England legend Gary Mabber. Yes. He's made uh, almost a thousand calls, maybe over a thousand to vulnerable Spurs fans during the COVID crisis. He, he joins us now. Gary, how are you? Dr. New Max. Hi, Charlie. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, lovely. As, as if you couldn't get any nicer, Gary. That's <laughs> the idea. I mean, what, what, what a lovely thing to do. Did, did the club come to you in the first place? Or was this something you really wanted to do? Well, no, it's something which, uh, obviously, I work for Spurs as a global club ambassador. So, of course, during the lockdown, uh, nobody was doing anything. Everyone was working from home. Uh, so, obviously, speaking to the club, we decided that um, it'd be great to keep in contact with our vulnerable supporters. And, obviously, we have a lot of people who are over the age of 70. Uh, and in the last six months, uh, I spend two hours a day speaking to fans from the age of 70 to 95. So... Um, the main idea of it is to generally keep in contact with them. And if you have a conversation just for two or three minutes, you can hear if they're in good spirits mm. or if they're struggling. And if they have some problems, then the Tom Hotspur Foundation have the healthcare experts who can then step in and obviously provide help, whether it be deliveries of food, et cetera, et cetera. So I've got to be honest and say, I've done 978 calls so far. And... Generally, the fans have been in fantastic, in great spirit. We've had a number of cases, a few cases, whereby you know, the club have stepped in and have provided some, some help. But uh, overall, uh, it's been very, very pleasing and uh, very rewarding. Do, do they know you're calling, Gary? Or do you say, uh, it's, it's Gary Mabbott, have you got a few <laughs> minutes for a chat? No, I mean, it's quite funny because uh, obviously it's just cold calling. Um, and so some, I mean, I've had a number of people just put the phone down on me. Uh, <laughs> Two or three of them don't believe it's me. Yeah. One gentleman believed it was his chemist who kept saying, look, my wife needs a prescription. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's been quite funny. And uh, if I was going on uh, Mastermind, my specialist subject would be Spurs in the 50s and 60s. Uh, so oh, yeah. I've learned a lot. Oh, well, I mean, my, my dad is, you know, my dad was a, went to White Hart Lane in the 50s. And, and that time when, I think when you were, he was sort of nine or 10, you'd be carried over by the other fans and just sat on the goal line. And, and oh, you know, right. he still rings me up and talks about Jimmy. You could have done me a favour and rung my dad every day and, and I'd have had a spare <laughs> five minutes. But, I mean, nostalgia is such a huge part of football, isn't it? I mean, talking about Spurs, but loads of teams don't win a lot of things. And so you spend a lot of time just reminiscing about the good old days, don't you? Well, again, especially with the vulnerable age group, uh, of course, you know, they're big they are fans of the likes of Ted Dishburn, you know, and going back to, you know, John White and Jimmy Greaves, Dave Mackay, Danny Blanchflower, yeah. you know, Cliffy Jones, uh, all the players they keep talking about. They talk about the Benfica semi-final uh, in the European Cup when, obviously, Jimmy Greaves had a goal disallowed. They all say that was their favourite ever game they've been to. And the, the you know, Spurs should have won it and won the trophy. There's so many the passion that they have uh, going back over the years. And the great thing is, is that they've got very clear memories on their on their players, on the football. And uh, yeah, as I say, uh, I spent two hours every day calling the fans, and uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure to do. Fantastic, and with all the cold calling as well, it's great. You've sold twenty grand's worth of double glazing. <laughs> so it's very, very, very good. And I, I, we're just talking about how clubs, um, obviously, clubs are struggling now. They they're playing behind closed doors, and you doing this and speaking to fans just shows that football clubs aren't just businesses. That they're, they're people's lives, aren't they? They're, they're the very soul of people. Yes, I mean, to, to be honest, guys, I mean, yes, of course, football is a big business, but 
I think you know, the supporters are what make that business. And whereas years ago, maybe the club would do a couple of things here and there, a couple of photographs in the local community. Now, uh, the community programs, the football foundations are all part of the core of the football club and core of the business of the football club. So, yes, I mean, it's a, it's a vital bit of work that's being done. Uh, yeah, and it's not, you know, all clubs do, do their own work in their own communities, have their own different programs. All players have their own charities. The problem is, chaps, is that nobody wants to listen to good news. Generally, if a player has a you know, a run in mm. in London at a nightclub or something, it's front page news. If that player goes with me to do a a big charity event, nobody hears about it. So, um, you know, generally, I think the clubs are doing a lot of good work. It has to be done because you know the, the support that the clubs have. I mean, as I say. These people, their memories going back so many years, and even up to date. Some of them are talking about the game against Southampton, and they couldn't believe the first half performance. And then suddenly, and then they're talking the cliches of a game of two halves. And but no, as I say, uh, it's, it's been quite uh, quite enjoyable to do. How excited are you to see Gareth Bale back in a Tottenham shirt, Gary? Uh, I think the same as all Spurs fans. Um, I was delighted uh, when I see. I heard that we were after him. Um, it's not just happened overnight. Uh, I think Daniel's been working very hard over the last uh, few weeks to make sure that he's in place should the opportunity arise. As soon as the opportunity arose, Daniel went straight in there. They were able to do a deal with Real Madrid, who when they agreed to pay part of the salary, the deal was done, and it was as quick as that. So um, to have him back, to bring I mean, Sergio Maguire, was, he's also a fantastic player, the left-sided player with potential. And looking at us in the second half against Southampton, I mean, let's please, let's take away the game in, uh, in Bulgaria, take away the first game against Everton, but it was showing in that second half how things are starting to come together. The manager's had very little time to work with his group of players. Now he's had that opportunity. He's got that chance. He can see the players that he wants. He can see the foundations being laid in certain areas. And yes, you, you can just see gradually um, things are being put in place. So... Yeah, you know, I think it could be uh, you know, an exciting season ahead. I'm a, I'm a big fan, and I think probably quite a good way for Spurs fans to to to, to follow Spurs is by just taking out all the results that they did <laughs> and performances <laughs> yeah. that they didn't really like. But but bail up with you know, given how creative Harry Kane is, and that lots of talk about him sort of dropping into the ten a bit like sharing and maybe mm. sort of in a different way, sort of like Ericsson, but but with. Bale on one side and Son on the other and Kane dropping deep or either of those getting down the flanks and Kane being in the middle. You, uh, the way Jose likes to play, right, which is let the opposition have the ball for a lot of the time, but then break and break quickly, it, it could be really good. Well, it's in, we have the players to create the ideal counter-attacking scenario. Um, and certainly, I mean, we're all talking about the game against Southampton, how he dropped deep in there. I mean, with all due respect, uh, yes, it was fantastic. You know, Harry Son, the finishing, the quality of pass. With all due respect, the Southampton defence was extremely naive. Um, yeah, if you're playing, if you concede one goal where a player makes a run behind you and gets in behind you, yeah. what you've mm. got to do is to kill that space, drop off you know, 15 metres, and the ball can't be put in behind you. You have to play in front of you. If, if Harry drops deep and he gets the ball there, if someone shuts him down quickly, he's got his head down, then you can squeeze up. Mm. If the player's got time on the ball, you have to drop off. And yet, it happened, unless I'm not kidding, five or six times. I was sitting watching the game thinking, somebody surely must have a word. <laughs> uh, but they didn't. And obviously, every time we made the runs, 
we actually broke them down. So, yeah, fantastic football, great play, great to see. Um, and, uh, yeah, Sonny, for me, has been our best player over the last mm. two or three years. His goals, his assists, he's always got a smile on his face. He's a great lad. And then, of course, you know, I think Harry, I think he's proved himself now to be one of the best players in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, continues to grow in stature. Uh, Gary, look, I know how humble you are. You don't like to hear people praising you, but you're like, a total credit to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and, and just to football in general and, and what you've done. You know, almost a thousand calls to vulnerable people. Uh, like, we salute you because what you've done is, is brilliant. Guys, it's been a pleasure doing it. And uh, so I say, these are difficult times. Everyone pulls together and, uh, you know, we, we will come through this at some stage, back into the stadiums and uh, can't wait for that. Yeah. Uh, Gary, thanks for your time. We appreciate Thanks, it. Gary. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Gary Mabber there, Spurs and legend. I liked him so much. I liked him so much, Max. I didn't bring up when they lost to Torquay United in the Lillwoods Cup in 90s. Okay. Well, that is and that is big of you. And that is big of me, isn't it? If if we're trying to work out who's the biggest, (laughs) who's the best out of me, you and Gary Mabber from that whole call, it's you not bringing up a grudge from I don't know 1988. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. The text board, it's gone crazy with uh, sporting grudges. A lot of people holding a lot of grudges Mm. because a lot of sport has created grudge in them. Yeah, and maybe it's cathartic. Uh, to, it's nice to, to let it let yeah. it go. Maybe use this as, as your time to let it go and move on from the grudge. Clyde says, uh, under 18 rugby match in 1984. Okay, yeah. A random guy tackles me. This is quite a bad one. Hmm. Uh, but as he's getting up, grabs my left ankle and twists my whole leg violently 180 degrees. My knee was done forever. My rugby career was over. I often wonder about random guy and if he maybe ended up a knee 
surgeon. That is quite... Ooh, that's GBH, isn't it? It is. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't think... Uh, Dan think. says, in under, is that one we weren't looking for? It reminds me when I, I did... Thought, the, I, d- yeah. I didn't like the, the, the cut of that one's jib to okay. start the hour. Oh. We were looking for, like, oh, the ref Up gave, the, the, ref gave yeah. the penalty and it wasn't a penalty. Yeah. You know how everyone has a... Uh, every every um, every man has a scar on their head somewhere. Yeah. You know, I, I just had quite a buzz cut. This was a, I think this was when I... Uh, I was doing the current affairs late night show on Talk Sport. Okay, show uh, off. In for James Whale. Oh, someone's doing and, all right. Uh, and uh, I had a little scar. And then the first caller they put through just sort of said, I had a terrible accent. I had a million stitches in my house. Like, why did you put that one yeah, through? That's, 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 that's not that what was I was looking much. for. I fell off the top of a telephone box, Max. That's why I've oh. got. Uh, what were you doing on top of a telephone well, box? Well, exactly. Uh, Dan says, in under, tens, in under tens, we played a summer five aside and made the finals. Facing the Saturday 11 of our same club, we pummeled them in the last minute conceded a goal when the attacker was in the d oh the ref in the d sir the ref went all mike dean and refused to accept any challenge i am 41 and i cannot let it go he says um uh, on the subject of non-league clubs and we're going to talk to the sutton united chairman in a little bit actually uh he says i'm among a few ground staff at welling united that's been looking after the pitch since lockdown started patiently waiting for the restart this is devastating news for our club um, it's quite interesting. I think like October the 1st, 2nd and 3rd have been real goals for the non-league clubs, real beacons of hope. Uh, I can only speak from experience with my club. Um, and all leading up to that excitement building and this to have this just taken away is a real kick in the teeth. Mm, I think it's interesting. Not, not, just, not just financially, but emotionally as well, just that... Is that oh, yeah. it's awful? Well, no, no, you, you know, I'm you, absolutely you, gutted. No, no, Max, I understand it. that. I mean, there is part of me, Cambridge, at top of the table, going, "Could you do points per game now?" Scored eight, conceded That's because you're a very selfish man. <laughs> I thought the Premier League statement was actually really strong, actually, because I, I, obviously, when the, when the first lockdown happened, and when we were all like, "Okay, well, this is, seems like a very sensible idea," and 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 uh, I think everybody was for it. I was interested to see what the, how the Premier League would react to that, and I read a part of it as a. I read the, the last sentence said, look, football's not the same without attending fans and the football economy is unsustainable without them. Last season, Premier League clubs suffered £700 million in losses and at present, our national game is losing more than £100 million a month. It's starting to have a devastating impact on clubs and their communities. We are confident that Premier League clubs using innovative ways to get supporters safely back into grounds will enable revenues to return at all levels of the game as well as maintain solidarity arrangements, current tax contributions and financial support for local and national economies. While there is a current pause in a date for fans returning to sports venues the Premier League and our clubs will not slow down in our preparations for providing safe biosecure environments we'll continue to work with government to bring supporters safely back into grounds as soon as possible I mean we were talking about it before the show Charlie about um, whether you have sympathy for Premier League clubs because obviously you yeah. know, we're talking about non-league clubs might going out of business League mm. 1 and League 2 desperately needing just a thousand or two thousand fans in the stadium but there are implications for Premier League clubs as well it's not as cut and dry to just say sure. give us all your money it's just difficult to have that um, sympathy or empathy when Macclesfield Town for instance go out of business for half a million pounds and Gareth Bale is on £600,000 a week I understand it's not as Spurs and so sure. the numbers are so massively different yeah. there's such a gap that, that I, I cannot equate the two in my feeling sorry for bucket. Neil says, uh, when I was eight years old, my dad took me to a local cricket club to try it out. I was run out at the non-striker's end and I simply didn't know why. I was oh. eight and I didn't know the rules. <laughs> 33 years later, I'm always pleased when I see that that team have lost. <laughs> That's um, good. Now, your mate. Our my mate. mate. Yeah, our I'm mate. Saying, uh, our friend. Our friend is and listening, obviously, listening yeah. today. How nice. It's nice to have Tim Vine on the line. Hello, Tim. 
Steve Sidwell. You never turned up. Steve Sidwell. Let me just check uh, my direct messages <laughs> with Steve Sidwell. For so those Steve... of you who don't know, we played we played uh, Trust Darts on a Saturday, and okay. Tim. And the final was Tim Vine versus Steve Sidwell, and Steve Sidwell did not turn up for <laughs> the final, despite us asking him about five weeks in a row. Do you still hold a grudge, Tim? <laughs> Right there, actually, now you mention it, yeah. yeah. So, I'd so forgotten I was in the final. That's yeah. how long ago it was. <laughs> so, so June the 3rd, uh, I messaged uh, Steve to say, um, look, we'll keep pestering you. Uh, June the 10th, 2020, are you on the golf course this Saturday? Fingers <laughs> crossed, fingers crossed. June the 16th, this Saturday, five hearts. Um, Nothing. June the 29th, 2.15, going to be near your dartboard. Uh, June the 29th, he goes, today? I say, yes. And he says, no. <laughs> then I say, then June the 29th at 11.34am, Steve Sidwell says, the dartboard has been taken down. Mrs. Sidwell said there were too many holes in the wall. Uh, wow. I replied, sceptical faces around the TalkSport <laughs> office. But you are, by definition, Tim, the champion, champion. of Trust Darts 2020. That's all I've run for. Well, Bye. What, 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 <laughs> you've run with a sporting grudge, Tim. What is I it? I have, actually. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a grudge. is possibly a bit strong, but it's, it's against my, my uh, dad. He's, oh. he's, he's, he's no longer with us. But uh, I, I used to tease him about this, actually, all the time. Um, it's a spectator grudge, because I was playing football for a... Uh, I was working for an insurance team, and uh, working for an insurance uh, firm, and they had an insurance league, football league. Yeah. And uh, I wanted my dad to come along and, and watch a match. And uh, I was playing up front, and basically what happened was we won 2-0. I got both the goals. My dad came to the match and missed them both, because oh. he, he arrived two minutes... <sighs> Two minutes late at the beginning to miss the first goal, and I scored the last one in the last two minutes, and he left with three minutes to go. Uh, what, to beat the rush? Why did he leave early? <laughs> it was, I think it was so he didn't fall asleep and fall forwards, actually. It wasn't the most exciting game. Oh, I, think he thought, I think he thought this is probably going to end. I like the sound that. of the um, insurance league, Tim. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, it would be <laughs> against the law to have you on and not ask you for some insurance jokes. Any? Oh, crikey. I don't, do you know, it's one of those things where uh, if I ever say to someone in the audience, you know, what are you doing this year, work for an insurance company, I, I normally uh, I normally get a bit stumped and go, but I bet you've been to a butcher's at some point. I mean, you say, I went to the butcher's. <laughs> <laughs> they go to something else. Yes. So you haven't got any? No, I'm not covered. Oh, oh bang. You see? There you he are. lulls you in. That's how you do but it, Max. Just a second. But just a small second. We'd found Tim Vine's Achilles heel. There it was. Unbelievable. All the greats, they look like they've got space. They've yeah, just got exactly. time. Always time got time and time space. On the ball. I want to, thanks for that, Tim. Anything else you want to tell us, or you want to carry on with your day now? I'm going to carry on with my day. You're doing a great job. It's a surprise to hear the two of you on in the afternoon. Well, I thought I'd woken up on the wrong day. You know what? Lockdown's like. Did you ever find the nut hatch, Tim? Did you ever find that? Well, that would be telling, but not during the entire series, no. But there is going to be a Nuthatch Watch Christmas special, so uh, we'll watch. hopefully maybe see it then, yeah, a That's Nuthatch. Stuff. Excellent. Thank Cheers, so Tim. Much. Thank you, Tim. All right, take care. Bye. Cheers, bye now. Tim Vine there. Um, uh, this is from uh, Oz, who says, I hold a Scrabble grudge with a mate from 15 years ago based on a dispute over Oxbot, which apparently Oxbot. is a warble-infested cattle. Can you find it in a recognisable English dictionary? Mm. I think not. Oxbot. At GazBeast12. <laughs> yes, he's very upset. Um, uh, Liam says, Robert Snodgrass went over a little easily to win a penalty in a then-Scottish second division playoff while on loan at Stirling Albion about 15 years ago. That not
not quite dive is why Mylot didn't go up. He has obviously had a good career for both club and country since. I hate him. <laughs> and oh, Gab says, uh, in 1976, I made fun of a teacher at primary school who supported Man United following their defeat to Southampton in the cup final. He ran the school football team, dropped me, never picked me again. I have oh, hated United that's awful. ever since. <laughs> Teachers <laughs> with a grudge. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. <laughs> Uh, good afternoon. You're listening to Hawksby and Jacobs on TalkSport. Max Rush and Charlie Baker with you until four. Mike makes quite a good point. He says those 8.15pm kickoffs are going to cause much uh, kicking off at 10pm throwing out time in the oh, pubs. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. That's Does that crazy. mean it's all finished about five past ten? Is that right? Officially, what gets to nine, nine, fifteen? Well, if there's no injury times, they'll be like 90 plus six. It's one, one. People watching from outside. <laughs> and they just go, right, that's it, everybody. TV off. <laughs> be like your dad, wouldn't it? Be like, oh, there's five minutes to go. It's one, it's one. free kick. What do you mean? I had someone looking in our window the other day. I live on, on the street. and uh, What were you doing? Watching the cricket. All right, OK. And this bloke just stood there and watched the cricket. He didn't see me. He didn't see me. And he just sat and stood there for five to ten minutes just watching the cricket. Like he used to be just standing outside, <laughs> standing outside Rumbelows. As David Trudenbridge says, yes, uh, 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 Ben said in the sport, plans, plans to let supporters back into grounds on ice. <laughs> is this a new footballing it's idea? It's an idea, That's isn't it? It's not going to help social distancing at all, is not it? At all. If you put ice rinks just around non-league A&Es grounds. are busy enough as it is. Really is. It's going to be a disaster. Oh, so this is this wonderful time when we've picked oh. out things from the papers. I go, Charlie, now what have it? you got? And you just... Because Charlie doesn't do the work that Jacobs does. Jacobs gets every paper, cuts them out, they sellotapes them into his little book. I don't, think you, know, just, I don't think you notice the difference. Charlie just comes in and goes, Can you got anything for me? Well, that is not true. On that note, Max, yeah. radio stations are ageist. Are they? Okay. Older male radio hosts can get away with looking like Benny Hill or Old Steptoe or... Both of your Hawksby and Jacobs. <laughs> While women feel pressure to retain their looks. Is that right? I Libby don't. Purvis has complained in yeah. a Radio Times article. She's almost certainly not wrong. There we are. She said, more visual, thus ageist. Because, as you know, radio is now for Twitter. Yeah. It's not for listeners anymore. Are you, you going to do a Twitter rant? Can we get... Uh, go on. No, no. We, we give had us, this... I don't know. No, no. We've let's had let's this try that, actually. We've had that idea. Let's try so, that out. Give no, us... no, so, so we've had this idea, right, because cause no, radio is no longer for listeners, right? And, and, and you know, that might be sad for you. And you're welcome. Thanks for listening. But it's for it's for presenters to come up with sort of one-minute rants that they can then go on social media and then get retweeted a million times. Mm. So Charlie and I were sitting there go, could you go... Can you say, right, now, Charlie, you've got to do 30 seconds saying football's better without supporters in the stadium, right? <laughs> and what we'll do is we'll put it out on social media and see Clip how many retweets out. you get. And then, and then you know, you'll yeah. just get hammered, you know? Yeah, no, or I'll just say, anyway. Klopp's a busted flush, and I'll do 30 <laughs> seconds on it, and then we'll see, and we'll feel really dirty the panic inside. signing we'll, of Thiago. <laughs> Thiago is a panic <laughs> signing. <laughs> and, and then we'll feel dead inside, but we'll get loads of retweets, and, you know, then we'll get the work that we want. Have you yeah. read the papers? What have you got? How many do you think is the world record for eating Oreo biscuits in five minutes? 160. Uh, a cookie fan wolfed down 141 Oreo biscuits Ooh. in five minutes smashing the previous record of 78. Max Stanford, 33, from Brixton, ate two at a time to clinch the Oreo eating contest. Contest organiser Craig Harker said, it was really quite something. It really was. If we, had, if we didn't have all the sport to talk about, Max, yeah. and we were just on like a normal radio station... We'd get him on. No, we'd try and do it ourselves. Oh, we'd no, get, we've got some Oreos here. I don't want to do We've that. got two packs here. I'm trying to be healthy in the week. Have a smoothie for breakfast. Are you? Yeah, have spinach in it. Someone should tell Alan Brazil. In my smoothie... 
cut this up for Brazil and see if he goes mad like he did about fruit pastels. <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, kale, the fruit pastel rant. Kale and spinach plus peanut butter and some berries and a banana and, and oat milk. Not normal milk, Alan. Oat milk. Oh. See how you like that? Are you like, oh, I'm not talking to Rushton again. Yes, what have you got Dead there? Do anyway, so um, uh, just some fishing news, Mike. Oh, yes, please. Devon fishing news okay. as well. You know, I've recently taken up fishing, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. into it. Big fan of Nigel, by the way, now. Yep. And uh, I've caught some perch, Max, and a little gudgeon as well. Tim oh, Gudgeon. Well, now he's the Tim Gudgeon. Here's the Rotherham Nil, <laughs> Shrewsbury Town. What? <laughs> okay. Got uh, most of my perch on Can a worm. You, is there an Alexander Gordon? Alexander... Uh, was it was his middle of Alexander? James Alexander James Gordon. Alexander yes. Gordon. Yes. There, just, you said one? Alexander Gordon. Well, obviously, yes, like a gudgeon. James Alexander Gordon. No, I can't think of one okay, fish. Right. Okay, okay. Uh, a three and a half foot long uh, lobster. Right. Was caught in Devon. That's quite Mark a lobster. Hor- War- Mark Warwick, 39. Yes. Often, fishermen are often sort of between Older 30 and <laughs> 55. Okay. Not got a lot else going oh, really? on. Really? Yeah, that's how you really? find it. have them older. Mark Warwick, 39, captured the moment uh, in this image. You can't see the image, obviously, because it's radio. He was night fishing for a conger eel. Why would you... This is my thing. I am, like, scared catching a small perch. I'm terrified of catching a pike. That's going to happen at some point. This bloke is fishing for a conger eel. uh, Because all of a sudden, if you catch it, all of a sudden you've got a conger eel. Okay. On the in your hands, yeah. And you've got to like, you've got to cope you've with really it. You really understood how this all works. <laughs> I don't you? like it. Anyways, in Plymouth, so it explains a lot. Okay. There was a nibble on his line. The painter and decorator pulled it in to find the lobster, which has sixteen-inch claws oh. and could be up to seventy years old. He didn't know what to do with it, but he found out, and they said a little bit of salt. A little bit of pepper. <laughs> they didn't say that. Should be self-isolating, shouldn't they? A seventy-year-old uh, lobster. Oh yeah, yes. Of um, course, uh, yeah. Now, uh, obviously, we're talking a lot about you know the really serious implications of social distancing and all those things. And I don't know why we haven't just asked Corky, who texted the Daily Star, who oh, said, right. "What happens with social distance in football when they score a goal? They hug and kiss each other. Do they get fined? It's all nonsense." <laughs> there we are. They're so in a bubble, aren't they? That's drive sorted Still out. Still a lot of spitting, <laughs> isn't there? Still a lot of spitting in Do football you know what? going I'd, on. I it's a I did it on Saturday oh. and the centre-back said, could you not spit, please? No spitting. Because it's such a natural reaction on a football pitch. You've is run it? around a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's not... I wasn't. It wasn't sort of Rudy Voller style. I just had a bit in there. It wasn't, you know, the Brian McClare through one... one up. It wasn't like the McClare through one nostril. I just I just gobbed on the floor. I'd like to apologise for everybody for I doing that. I think you should, Max. Maybe you're the reason for the new lockdown and Possibly. pub shutting at 10 o'clock. And okay. more fishing news, Max? Do you know what? Um, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so, listen, Nigel, by the way, it's on the line. A missing fisherman was found alive after three days clinging to his call box okay. in the open sea. So you take a box with you, to, obviously, if you're not catching and releasing. Yeah, you, OK. Uh, Udin Demand's small boat capsized as he hunted seafood to sell. His family raised the alarm when he failed to come home. He and his buoyant orange box were eventually spotted bobbing in the waters further out off the coast of Indonesia. Wow. Starving, dehydrated. Udin, 46, see, was taken to hospital before returning to his family. He said that he had spent much of the time passed out through hunger. So he oh. passed out for the whole thing. Okay. Missed the whole thing. Can't remember it. They asked him what he remembered. Not a thing. Well, probably a good thing. You, you think? think? I don't think you'd be very happy bobbing around for two or three days. Now, d- uh, spider news. Oh, um, good. What do you think you need to ward off spiders? Uh, there's, there's Conkers, be a, isn't it? There's a new season. Conkers. Uh, no, no. 
Oh. Uh, oranges could ward off scary spiders. Oh. The, the spider season is about to hit. Uh, topped tips for keeping eight-legged beasts at bay, including, and this can't, no one is going to do this, squeezing <laughs> orange juice on door handles. Well, might, does it, has it got any antibacterial qualities as well? Um, they, hate, they hate orange and they hate vinegar. But, yeah. but there are, the side effect is there's orange juice on your door handles, isn't there? Yeah, but no spiders. Um, I've never seen a, I've never seen a spider on a door handle. Have you, Max? So, do, no, I haven't. I don't know, but there you are. Uh, do you want like some space news? Uh, by the way, we've had a complaint. H&J had the world record Oreo cookie eater on their show a week ago, oh, Max. That's from dear. Suzanne Swan. Well, they're ahead of the game. Don't hang around with Suzanne Swan too long. She'll break your arm. I'm glad that was the bit of criticism you read out. <laughs> Not the one above it. Um, here we are. Uh, there really could be life on Mars and three other this planets. Again. This after again. <laughs> they were named as the most likely to be able to support extraterrestrials. Um, UFO investigator Nick Pope... There we are. Hey. Uh, we didn't know he did that too. Who once investigated sightings for the MOD said if aliens were found on another planet, it would be the most important scientific discovery in history. He added, this bombshell discovery suggests the universe is teeming with life. Oh. There we are. Any so. word from Tom Heaton on that at all? Or? <laughs> Tom Heaton has no views. Uh, Joe Hart, uh, he thinks there might be. There might yes. be, okay. Yeah, yeah, I have no other current or former Burnley goalkeepers okay. in my mind. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Uh, good afternoon everybody listening to Hawksby and Jacobs on TalkSport. Max Rush and Charlie Baker uh, with you all this week. Now on Sunday uh, on TalkSport and every Sunday uh, for the five weeks after that, nine o'clock uh, the first episode of a six-part documentary coming in from the cold, the history of black footballers in the English game will be on. Uh, also an accompanying podcast of the episode will be released after each episode is aired. Uh, it's hosted and narrated by Jess Crichton, who's with us now. Jess, how are you doing? I'm very good. Hi, How are Jess. you guys? Yeah, very good. Thanks yeah, for filling good. up an hour of content for TalkSport for the next few weeks. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, uh, tell us w- why you wanted to make the documentary and, and sort of where you go with it. I think we are discussing issues that need to be discussed, let's be honest. I think at a time where we are seeing um, a movement happening with Black Lives Matter, um, with racial injustice, with social injustice and people fighting uh, for those causes, this documentary brings it all together, it ties it all up and relates it to how football has dealt with uh, some really important societal issues, mm. you and, know. And sort of, and it gives it a context, I guess, when you think about the first black players and what they encountered. And I know episode one starts with these, I mean, years and years, years and years ago. Years ago, Max, yeah. years ago. Because, you know, a lot of people will look at perhaps John Barnes as being like one of the first black visible players mm-hmm. or before that it might have been Viv Anderson. But actually, the... Black community's contribution to football in England started way, 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 way back in the 1800s. The likes of Arthur Wharton, Walter Toll. Um, and there was even a guy called Jack Leslie who could have possibly been the first black man to play for England. He was called up, but was later had his kind of invitation um, taken away again once the FA realised that he was they, a man of colour. The they turned up to see him, yeah. yeah. Well, back in the day, if you, if you can imagine... Um, in, in, you know, the 1900s, early 1900s, there was no mobile phones. There was no social media. You couldn't just look up someone on the internet to see what they looked like. They had heard that Jack Leslie was plying his trade at Plymouth, scoring goal after goal after goal, was doing really, really well. And so they thought, we'll call him up. He could, he could do a good turn for mm-hmm. England. It's not until later that they found out about his heritage and what he actually looked like and realised he's not fully white was then that uh, 
his invitation to play for his uh, national team was taken away. Did did you find that the footballers years ago? Because obviously, you know, racism we know it still exists now, and we remember it from you know the. the the, the last sort of 20, 30 years and, and what the football the black footballers who came into the top division or into professional football had to deal with. What did they have to deal with then? And like was there was it were they was there a mixture of acceptance and, you know, outright racism? Then it was overt. It was so obvious and it was so in your face that you couldn't get away from it. Players were having to deal with monkey chanting, the use of the N-word constantly, uh death threats um, and there was no organisations like Kick It Out or uh, Show Racism the Red Card that could counteract it. And often, from from reading about this and researching about this, the players were just told, get on with it. I mean, are you going to let the opposition mm. or are you going to mm. let the opposition fans take you off your game? No, you're not. Ignore it and play on. And that was what they were having to do. They were having to suppress this trauma um, and this racial abuse just to play the game that they loved. Sure. And they were, they were pioneers, you know, these guys were absolute pioneers of the game. And there would have been some, you know, they obviously had managers who were playing them. And did those managers come under, you know, did the people who were giving these black players an opportunity get stick as well? They got a bit of stick, but I think it was mainly aimed at the players. And you've got to remember, we're talking about a time where it was rife in society. Mm-hmm. So of yeah. course, of course it was rife within football stadiums as well. There was, there was just no one there to counteract it or very few people stood up. It was kind of an accepted thing that if your skin was darker, you would be abused. And, and does it surprise you that it is still a thing given, you know, within football and within society as well, but th- because these, some of these players came into the country so long ago to, and were playing so long ago that it, that it still exists now and, and from the people that you interviewed for the documentary as well? I don't know if I'm surprised, but I'm just disappointed that we're still having these same conversations. And whilst I feel like the racism perhaps has improved slightly in terms of it's not happening as often, it is still happening. And of course, there are organisations now, like I mentioned, Kick It Out, Show Racism the Red Card, that are trying to deal with these situations. But, you know, the truth is, the truth is, players are still being racially abused on the pitch. There are fewer black managers than there should be uh, and coaches than there should be in in football. Um, There is next to no uh, representation of black people, people of colour on football boards. Mm -hmm. So there is still an innate problem with football and its relationship with race. And it's unbelievable in many ways because the representation is there on the pitch. The representation on the pitch is, is huge. Whereas, you know, you look back to the 1920s or, or you know, just to, to, you've got Walter Tull, for instance, within World War One, was one of the only uh, black men in, in the trenches in World War One, And you'd think, well, that there's a war hero that's come back and then played football, and you'd think that would begin to wipe it out. But the representation now is... Is that it is it's so unbelievable that it's still happening. It's so obvious, isn't it? I, I think what is it in in the Premier League that more than thirty percent of the players are black or mixed race? But then when you look at a coaching level, it's dire. When you look at board level, yeah. it's also dire. Um, I think what's needed is a shift in perception. I think at this point, we've got to a point now where we accept black people as players. Mm. They are allowed to run around a football pitch. As a whole, society can accept that. But to accept 
a black person in an authoritative role like a manager or a coach or an owner or a board mm. member, I don't think we're quite there as a society. Which makes it very interesting what Les Ferdinand has, has said as one of the few black people in that position and QPR not taking a knee. It is. Um, I think it's important, though, that we have a nuanced discussion about this. It isn't left or right, right or wrong. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what he's saying, coming from a club as diverse as QPR, is that there are many pieces to the puzzle and taking a knee in itself is not going to solve the problem of racism in football. And I would agree with him on that. You need to be doing other things as well behind the scenes. And it's all well and good all this branding around Black Lives Matter and putting it on the back of players' shirts, then what? Mm. What's the answer after that? Mm. Action, 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 not words. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I found it really interesting and what Les Ferdinand was interesting, we were chatting just before we started this interview, that you know there are people listening to this who are who support the movement or who are just are not racist, don't want to be racist, don't want to say the wrong thing, want to do the right thing, want there to be equality. There are people listening to this who want to dismiss it, right? Who 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 either don't want to face up to the issue or want to say, this is talk sport, it's not talk politics, go away. <laughs> and, and I really, my fear is that they will look at Les Ferdinand and QPR saying, we're not taking the knee. And they see other people taking the knee and they will they will say, they'll put inverted commas going, well, they can't agree on what to do, so how do we know what to do? And I think it's really important to understand that in a in a group, in society, right, there, there, there are, you know, what, 13% of this of this uh, of the population in the UK, right, is non-white. That is a lot of people. And there's they're going to disagree on how to, how to come to a solution. Exactly. And, and, you know, there are lots of white people who are going to disagree about how to come to a solution. But that doesn't mean it's the, the movement is invalid if, if it's not a sort of monolithic one viewpoint. Nail on the head. Nail on the head. There's a first time for everything. I love that. No, you're totally right, Max. Uh, Celez does not represent the entire black community. No. no one does. I can have my opinion, Les can have his opinion. And it may well be different. It doesn't invalidate what the movement is about, which is that black lives matter just as much as anyone else's. Not more than just as much mm -hmm. and it's simply that and I think what he's pointing to is that you know like you rightly said we need action there's been a lot of discussion but what's actually changed after the banners the signs the names of you know the, the Black Lives Matter on the back of player shirts yeah what can you point to that's changed and, and do you and do you think in a way that this documentary giving it a giving us some historical context might help people who are struggling to get their head around all of this I think so. History is really important to learn where we've come from and where we may have made past mistakes mm -hmm. so that we can rectify them in, in the present and in, and in the future. And I think what this does is, you know, often when there are stories of the black community on mainstream radio or mainstream TV, they tend to be negative. And yes, we are talking about some quite emotional, traumatic events in some of these black players' lives, but we're also celebrating them mm. and their incredible achievements. And I think that needs to be done more often as well. So I think it's it's all important for everyone, not just black people, everyone to hear the lives of these incredible men. Yeah. Uh, Jess, thanks for coming thanks, in. Thanks, Jess. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Uh, good luck with the documentary. Coming in from the cold, the history of black footballers in the English game. Uh, first episode, Sunday night at 9pm. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4pm on TalkSport. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.